0: Good morning, City Chapel. It's good to see you all again here this morning. It's a a cold morning, um, but I'm glad that you could make it out. And for those of you who are new or visiting, my name is Matt Vanderleek. I am one of the elders here at City Chapel, and I am a candidate for teaching elder. And so, and I get the privilege and the honor of preaching the word to you this morning. We are in our sermon series called Sojourners in Exile. It is a series in 1st Peter and here at City Chapel we tend to go through whole books of the Bible at a time. We go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, expounding upon what the word of God has for us. And our text this morning is in 1st Peter chapter 3 and it's just a single verse this morning in verse 7. And so if you, if you don't have a Bible here this morning, please put your hand up and one will be given to you. And you will find on those pew Bibles, our section is on page 1015. And as you find your text in your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you, uh, especially husbands, to turn there quickly and then... If you're married and you're sitting close to your wife, uh, if you're not, please move and sit next to your wife. And put your arm around her or hold her hand through this sermon. If your wife is not here this morning um, for various reasons, then uh, feel free to pray that, that uh, for her wherever she's at. And uh, it would be good to have her here this morning. Um, if those of you who are here, maybe you're with someone that you're dating or engaged to. Um, and that's awesome, too. You can hold hands. Uh, I know that you're you're well acquainted, most likely, with the process. Um, and if you take notes, if you're here and you're like, well, I would love to, but uh, I need to take notes, um, get the recording and do it later. I don't know. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm a note-taker uh, myself. I enjoy taking notes. Uh, maybe take notes with one hand and hold your bride's hand with the other. Your priority this morning is to listen to God's word, uh, which does include tenderly embracing your wife through this sermon. It's forty minutes. You used to do it all the time. We can get through this together. So, in God's providence, we are exploring God's command to husbands. This uh, today we explored God's command to wives last week, and then this coming weekend. As Elder Rich announced, there is a mini-conference at uh, Bethany Baptist on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood with Gavin Peacock. So I encourage any of you who are able to, to please find your way to this conference. Uh, their church is warm, and it's too cold to do anything else, um, and this is an exciting time with with good concepts and, and biblical concepts to go through, and then to go and hear what Gavin has to say, and go home and then weigh what you hear with what we read in Scripture, and make sure that you apply the truths of God's Word to your life. Now last week, I took some time to review a couple theological terms for you, and we're going to just quickly touch on those again, um, for those of you who, who weren't here last week, and then if you... If you want to hear a more full view, please listen to the recording from last week. So we reviewed the, the, the term egalitarianism. It's a, a big theological term, um, which is a position that it does acknowledge that men and women are different, and yet together they make up the whole idea of humanity, the whole concept of humanity. But the primary concern there is with equality and what they define as equality and this is the principle that there is no distinction in roles and that that has been done away with uh, and that this has proven throughout history to be a slippery slope as the thoughts of this tend to progress to no genders and utter confusion that where we see has befallen our society today. So if you're here and you hold to that position We love you. I am not trying to build a straw man argument out of your position, but I do believe that it lacks credibility with Scripture. At City Chapel, we hold to the view called complementarianism that is, that men and women are created equal. Uh, They were created by God. They both are image bearers of God. He created them in His own image, male and female. He created them to have dominion over creation. Yet, He has given them distinct roles. Adam, we read in Genesis, was created first. Adam received from God the instructions for life in the garden before sin had ever entered the world. He was commissioned by the Lord to guard the garden from evil. Adam was charged to disciple his wife. He was to train her in what the Lord had commanded. Adam was charged to lead her. Eve was instructed to submit to his leadership, and this is God's design before the fall, before sin had entered the world. Uh, This was God's design for his creation, that there are roles of leadership, of discipleship, of submission to his word. Yet we know, as we continue reading in Genesis 3, uh, that Adam and Eve failed, Eve was deceived by the serpent and Adam failed to disciple and lead his wife and guard against evil. And who did God hold primarily responsible? Who did God call out to in order to give an account for what happened when sin entered the world? It was to the man, to Adam. That Adam was the one that failed as a leader and Eve had failed to submit, but he calls first to Adam. And then since the fall, And as a result of the curse, humanity has embraced the sins of our parents, Adam and Eve, and fought against the roles and responsibility that God calls us to. So just like last week, I would encourage you, if you are here and you are not a husband, please don't tune this message out. For single women, if you desire marriage, pray for a future husband ...that honors God in these areas... ...and watch for those who take this role and responsibility seriously. For single men and women... ...if you don't desire marriage... ...perhaps uh, by God's providence you will remain single... ...there are still universal applications for you. Uh, God charges us to disciple others. We know that Jesus in his earthly ministry was a single man... And he taught a lot on marriage. Um, and And so did the Apostle Paul. And so let's grow in our understanding of what God requires together so that you can disciple others whether you have firsthand experience or not. And then for our married women, pray for and encourage your husband to be the man that God calls him to be. Keep holding his hand. Give him a gentle squeeze to make sure that he's still listening throughout the sermon. And thank God if he resembles a godly husband in any way as the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through him. Lastly, we continue to see that what God commands, his image bears, reveals something of his own divine character. As we explore headship and leadership, we will grow in our understanding of our God and of our Savior The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we are each individually brides, but that collectively we as the church universal are his bride. And that we as husbands are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see that Christian authority is an authority that bleeds. It's an authority that empties itself. It's an authority that gives everything of itself for the sake of its subjects those who are under authority is that what you thought this morning that it meant to be the head of a household well husbands our leadership is one of self-sacrifice to the glory of god and so with that let's turn to the text this morning first peter chapter 3 verse 7 hear now the reading of god's word Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maker of heaven and earth, Our Lord and our God, would you speak to us now as we open your word, the Bible? I pray that you would increase our hunger for your word. As we explore this text this morning, would you make the book live to us? Lord, would you show us our sins and our failures? Would you show us where we have strayed and wandered from your path? Would you show us where we deviate from your commands? in rebellion, or in ignorance? Would you bring us, would you convict us of our sin? And then, Lord, would you show us our Savior? Would you show us how Jesus has kept the law for us and invites us to walk behind him? Would you, would you help us to respond to your call on our lives? Holy Spirit, would you lead us and help us that we might properly respond to this text this morning, each one of us here applying it to our own lives. Lord, would you give me boldness to proclaim your truths this morning, and would you produce growth in your people? Help us to keep our eyes squarely on Christ as we go into this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have four points that we are going to hit this morning. And uh, I tried to do the, the good faithful Baptist route with alliteration. And so they all start with E. The first is exercising wisdom. Exercising wisdom. The second is endowing honor. Endowing honor. Third is enacting sonship. S-O-N enacting sonship and four is efficacious prayer. The root word of efficacious is effective. So effective prayer if that's easier for you. so Exercising wisdom. We live in strange days. Culture it seems is rapidly eating itself and largely many within the church have been unknowingly allowing culture to erode our beliefs, our own culture, our values, all at the sake of being accepted and trying to remain relevant. And how can we stand up to this kind of erosion unless we do so with wisdom? And not a wisdom that we conjure up on our own, but a wisdom, a true wisdom that comes from God. So how do we know what is Crooked and what is twisted, what is bent and what is broken, unless we know what is straight. And what is straight is not necessarily what is popular. In his own day, Jesus had to kick against the cultural perversions and deviations of God's design, particularly when it came to marriage. Now, listen, what Jesus said is he quotes God's instruction. From the book of Genesis in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus says to to the Pharisees, to the, the leaders of the nation, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two. But one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, I encourage you, as many of us may be familiar with at least a portion of this verse from hearing it at weddings at when the vows are given, but meditate on these verses this week and, and think about the various ways that our culture has tried to destroy what God has created. So again, that's Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. That God's design has been for one man and one woman in covenant together for one lifetime. Peter's instruction to us this morning addresses husbands. So husbands. This means that he is a biological man and has entered into covenant marriage with a biological woman and he tells husbands to live with your wives. Now, I know that this seems so basic, and yet there are three things that our culture gets wrong and that we are in risk of getting wrong. The first one, each husband should live with his own wife. So if you're not married, you're not living together as if you are. That Sex and cohabitation is designed for within the marriage covenant. So outside the covenant, it's a no. But within the covenant, we give it a strong yes. Number two, a couple consists of two. It's one man, one woman. There's two people. This is against polygamy and polyamory and swinging on open relationships, etc. And then number three, no unnecessary separation. Now we know, and the Apostle Paul instructs us elsewhere, that separation for a time can be beneficial and necessary. That some couples need time to work through issues individually and to, together, and this is, should be done in, uh, in the context with a biblical counselor. Some jobs also um, various obligations and even recreations may take men or women away for a season. But what Peter is reminding us is to keep this limited and consider and wrestle with again, you can do this on your own time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul gives principles for marriage. And Peter says that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. That our living with our wives needs to be done in knowledge and wisdom. Understanding what God has called us to. Understanding our role within the covenant of marriage. And understanding of where she is and how to serve her. Consider how differently this is from those who are motivated by lust and those who are motivated by passion. That a husband is not just he doesn't just take a female body into his arms. He doesn't just take a body into his bed, but he is concerned with her whole person, with who she is. He's concerned with his wife, his bride, and covenant love means that no matter what changes, his love is a rock for her, that she may lose physical abilities, and that he loves and cherishes her, that She may lose her physical and youthly beauty, but his love embraces her and it's not looking around at other people. And she may lose her memories or her mind, and his love tenderly cares for her. He knows he is called to disciple his bride, he knows that he is called to lead her and his family in an appropriate, loving, and tender manner. He does not shirk his duty to lead, nor does he lead with an iron fist, but lovingly leading and guiding his wife. For this reason, men, I hope that each of you prays that you would outlive your wife. And that you should trust in God, and God's plan, and that he would care for her if you die first. But what an incredible task and blessing to be the one to care for your bride to the very end of her days to perform the god-given task to love her and lead her and to be the human hand that ushers her from this life into eternity with into the arms of her savior when he calls her home so i pray uh, i pray and you should pray for wisdom as you live out your calling and your leading and serving, and caring for, and discipling your wife. Number two, endowing honor. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, Peter says. We live in a culture that is trying to argue against any kind of biological difference between genders, or that there are even two genders at all. We live in a culture that can't make up its mind whether there are innumerable genders or if there is even any such thing as gender. And without even realizing that, logically, if we deny the biological fact of two genders, then all gender loses its meaning. In a culture, we live in a culture that bombards us with these assaults. And so it may be strange to read this line in the Bible and determine what Peter is trying to say. But Peter here is speaking in general terms, that women, by their genetic makeup, tend not to accrue as much muscular mass as a man. This isn't supposed to be insulting or condescending or rude, just that it's an acknowledgment that God in his wisdom made the female frame in all her shapes and sizes generally smaller than the male frame. That the feminine frame has a different center of gravity, has different hormones through her body, has a, a different bone structure. And this this shouldn't be shocking to us We can look at, or or those who are trained can look at, a skeletal structure and determine if it is male or female. At every level, God has designed men and women to fulfill different roles in life. Women are the ones equipped with a womb who can carry and give birth to children and nurse their young. And acknowledging our differences in how we were created... Peter then calls husbands to show honor to her. So men, husbands, you are called to lead your family. Now there's, there's two types of men, or at least there's two stages that you might be in. You could be the same man and at various seasons be in one or two of these stages. And the first is those who need to learn to stand up and lead. That you're too comfortable with just sitting down and letting time go by and not leading. So you need to know that you are called to lead your household. That you are the leader of your household, whether you are doing so or not. Now you might sit here and say, well, but Matt, my, my wife won't let me, let me lead. Well, you need to pray for her and lead her in learning how to submit. In the meantime, perhaps, if you took leadership more seriously by pressing into the Word of God, by seeking God in prayer, by looking to the needs of others, of the needs of your wife, the needs of your kids, rather than yourself, that she might be more willing. But ladies, okay, if your husband is a doofus, you are still called to submit and to pray for him, to obey God. By submitting to your husband. And many times, I do, I honestly believe this that a man who knows that his decisions will bear the full weight and responsibility of the family is going to be much more careful and serious in weighing what he does, rather than a, a hand-packed husband who knows that it doesn't matter what he says, his wife is going to do whatever she wants anyway. So one day, men, this is why we need to lead, because one day you will give an account for how you have led, so brother, lead well. The second man then, or the second stage, is for those who need to learn to lead humbly. Men, you are called to lead your household with honor. Not lording your headship over everyone so that they do whatever you want them to do whenever you want it done. No, we are called to a sacrificial leadership so that if anyone is bleeding, if anyone is hurting, it had better be you. You are the defender and protector of your wife and your children. You are called to seek the well-being of your wife and your family over your own. You give yourself up for the sake for their sake the sake of others you cherish your wife make her your most treasured earthly relationship your love for her must reflect the love of Christ to his church you will give an account to god for how you have led so lead well men we are ambassadors of christ we represent him and he holds us responsible. Now think for for just a moment of, of a, a president of a company or the president of the United States. Um, you could think of the prime minister job too, but I think that Canada's in a place of having a poor record of accountability. But the the leader has many advisors. The president has different advisors advising him on different things. He, he isn't necessarily the professional in all areas. He's not all-knowing and all-wise and all-powerful. He has advisors letting him know this is, the, this is the, the pros and cons of doing this. This is the pros and cons of doing that. And ultimately, he is the one who considers these things and weighs them and makes a decision. And that once a decision has been made, even if it totally fails the way that his advisor told him it was supposed to go, he is the one left bearing that responsibility. So men, you don't have to know it all. And you should ask for help and guidance. But you are responsible for the decisions that are made. Your leadership needs to be one that protects, cherishes, honors, and serves your wife and your family that responsibility is placed on your shoulders. Now this point builds nicely into our next point, that though Peter says that the woman is the weaker vessel, yet this does not detract anything from her dignity or value. She is a co-heir. Women are not any lesser than men, but shall receive equal inheritance. So enacting sonship. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life. In the Old Testament, the sons were the ones who were who would receive the inheritance from the father. That is why I called this point enacting sonship that the inheritance won for us by Christ falls indiscriminately on those who are his, that we are all given this status of God's son. Excuse me, but you'll notice that there's no room for misogyny here. Biblical manhood simultaneously recognizes that God has created men and women equal and has called us to different roles, and that husbands and fathers are called to lead. But this should cause us to quake as men before God. We must recognize that there is nothing in and of ourselves that would end up producing a godly wife or godly offspring. We are wholly dependent upon the grace of God as we step out in faithful obedience, stumbling our way through this life. Why then would we ever think that men are better than women? Or on the flip side, that women are better than men, but that we are equal. We must carefully acknowledge that all are in need of God's grace and that our inheritance is, comes to us by God's grace alone. None of us deserve any of the gifts that God gives or the positions and the, the titles that he calls us to. I haven't, myself, earned my beautiful wife or my, my great kids. They are a gift from God and he calls me To lead them, He has given me a responsibility as one of His sons for other of His children, and He will hold me accountable for how I lead them, that they belong to Him and I belong to Him. We should live in this tension between knowing it is all by God's grace and seeking to walk in obedience to Him. That when we do well, we know that God is working through our efforts of obedience so that the glory goes to Him. That any good in us is actually a reflection of Christ. And that when we falter, and we will, that we know we must model repentance and brokenness, confessing that we need God's mercy and grace too. Now just consider... How this, this model, this leadership contrasts from the cults like Mormonism, which teach that women get to heaven through their husband. That her salvation hinges upon not only his salvation, but his pleasure with her. That he would call her out of some sort of soul sleep into into the divine and heavenly places. What a freedom that we have knowing that our salvation is secure for those of us who are in Christ, that he has promised to give eternal life to those who turn to him in faith and repentance, and that Jesus keeps his promises. And if he has given eternal life, how can that ever be questioned whether or not he will see it through? Could it be, actually be called eternal life if it could be snuffed out or removed. Consider also the contrast to feminism and that while it demands honor, it actually has been proven to enslave women. I stole this, the following, from a a Facebook post. It isn't original to me, but I really liked what it broke down. And this post said, this culture's feminism is actually empowering men to be the worst versions of themselves. They get the sex without commitment. They don't worry about the consequences of pregnancy. They get a date without picking up the check. They get the relationship without being a gentleman. No opening doors, no pulling out chairs, no providing, no protecting, and no male responsibility. Because, hey, everything is equal. In other words, modern feminism is the perfect recipe to sidestep God's call to how to treat a woman. But godly men know better. A godly man knows that he is equal in value but different in role. He knows that he should be protector, a provider, a discipler, and a lover without being toxic or dangerous. Man, it's easy to support a movement that allows us to get lazy. That's why so many men have already jumped on board. But don't do what most men do. Do what Christ has called us to. Cherish women. Value women. Listen to women. And don't ever try to escape your role in the process. See, God created us and he knows what we need. Other methods may sound appealing like feminism but He is the only way to real life. His way is the best way. His way is the only way. Peter calls it the grace of life. And when do we receive the grace of life? When, when do we inherit this grace of life? You can discuss this with your wife uh, as you go home this morning. You can discuss it with your life group this week. But I'm convinced that the grace of life is another name for eternal life and the benefits of which we experience as soon as we come to faith in Jesus Christ in this life and that they carry through in the life to come. Number four, efficacious prayer or effective prayer. Peter says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In our our own Bible study life group this week, we were discussing how it seems everyone loves the fairy tale wedding. Everyone loves the Disney ending. Right then in, in a fairy tale, the prince has to overcome adversity and he has to come and rescue his princess from the evil dragon and then he plants true love's kiss on her lips and they get married and just before the credits roll, we read and they lived happily ever after, that's right. and And this truly is the greatest story ever told. this this has been this basic storyline has been uh, the, the footprint for thousands of stories. And part of that is because it's our heart's desire. It's what we were made for. but it has not yet come. This is actually the story of the gospel and how Christ will destroy Our enemies, his enemies, but we are still waiting. It's still yet to come. We are still in the part of the story with a dragon and with enslaver, uh, slavery, being enslaved. The happily ever after marriage is our union with Christ in the end. In this life, we have long suffering marriages. We have men or women who are taken advantage of for years. We see broken marriages and broken families and trauma in in the children and with the wife and with the father. We see henpecked husbands and abused wives, many who have suffered in silence for a long time. But God sees and knows what happens behind closed doors. He sees the manipulation, the withheld intimacy, the harsh words said, and the days on end of silence. The Lord sees it. And you may put on a great show to everyone else so that nobody else knows what's going on, but God knows what happens in your home. So what does it mean that your prayers may be hindered? In truth, I'm not sure that I understand the ins and outs of everything of how this works. There are places in the Scripture where we we read about this kind of thing. In the Old Testament, God would turn away from certain offerings. For example, in Malachi 2, verse 13, He will not acknowledge the one who isn't faithful to his wife, but divorces her. And we read... Then the opposite in John chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, we don't teach works righteousness here. That that if you clean yourself up, and you look good, and you say the right prayers, uh, that God would take notice of you. And we don't teach manipulative mysticism that if you as long as you say the right words in the right order that it's like pulling the the crank on the the lever and that God has to do whatever it is that you said and he has to spit out um, whatever it is because you figured out the magic formula but I believe that what Peter is pointing to and what scripture points to through throughout is that That a husband who is so obstinate to not obey God's word, a husband who doesn't cherish his wife, who isn't himself a student of God's word, who isn't leading and guiding according to what the scriptures have called him to, is going to have proud and haughty prayers, if he even prays at all. So his prayers are hindered, not because they make their way up to heaven and God decides to plug his ears and not hear them. They're already jacked up at the source. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A man who cries out to God in brokenness, praying for mercy, praying for grace, seeking repentance and guidance and strength, praising God for what he has done. These are not hindered prayers. These are prayers that are pleasing to God, that that what Jesus says that he will answer. These are prayers of humility, prayers of pouring out his heart to his God, that what comes out is not selfish desire, but repentance and brokenness and true concern for others, pleas for mercy and for grace and gratitude for the good gifts that God has given and His love and His kindness that He has poured out. That, I believe, is what Peter is warning us against. That our prayers would not be about how great we are, but about how great he is and how much we need him. To review, we have seen that men are called to exercise wisdom, in particular with our wives. We are to endow her with honor. That we would protect, care, and cherish our wives and even women in general that though they they be regarded as more dainty than men, women are co-heirs, and that we need to enact an understanding of sonship that is full rights of inheritance and dignity, value, and worth to women. And we do this that our prayers may be effective, that they would not be hindered. Now, man, does this seem like a lot? Husbands, did you know that... All of this in, it was packed into this single verse of what you are called to. We live in a time of, of such a sleepy culture where men play house. But it's time to stand up and to be men. It's time to take seriously the role that we have as husbands, as a father, to lead our families in the way that God has called us to. And you're going to need help. You can't do this on your own. First of all, you're a sinner. You're going to falter. You're going to be tempted to quit. You will not perfectly model Christ as he laid down his life for his bride. Number two, your beautiful wife is a sinner, and she will not perfectly model Christ in submission to God as she tr- tries to submit to you. Discipleship then is going to be messy. There's going to be times where you have to call out the sin of your wife or your kids. These are the most important discipleship roles in your life. And there's going to be times where you have to humbly model obedience to Christ, even when your family and those around you won't. And then there's going to be times, and more often than you had ever hoped, that you will have to model repentance and brokenness, humbly confessing your need for a Savior to your family. We we began this morning by looking at Adam and Eve before the fall. These roles that God had established from the very beginning. But don't forget that they fell and there is a curse. Man, we have been created for work. Adam had work to do in the garden. And our curse is to do with our work. Our curse is the weeds. Our curse is the toil that work is now hard. It's not always enjoyable. In some things, many things are just downright frustrating. We need to be encouraged then by the word of God regularly. We need brothers to come around us who will encourage us. And sometimes that means a smack in the butt to get going who call us on our sin and lead us to Christ again. This is why our eldership has been so intentional about things like life groups and pulpit discipleship and personal sanctification. We're trying to offer tools to help equip you in your work, tools to place in your belt that every man, woman, and child would be equipped to follow and obey Jesus Christ. But there are other tools and avenues available. We know Ours, our methods, our our times together aren't the only ways to grow in Christ. But we offer these that no one has an excuse to say, well, I didn't know. No one is left behind in ignorance except by his own choice. Eve also received a curse too, didn't she? That her pains in childbirth would be greatly increased. This is a strong implication that the normative family model will include children and that also that her desire would be contrary to her husband, but he would rule over her. Husbands, one of your jobs is to disciple your wife. And what is your curse? Weeds, toil, sweat, hard work. Wives, what is your curse? That your husband rules over you with contrary desires. Now, Do, do we think that this kind of discipleship with these kinds of curses laid upon us is going to be easy? Or do you think it's more of a recipe for disaster? How in the world could any of us overcome the curse? How can husbands lead and disciple well, laying down his life for the sake of his bride? And how could wives bend their own will and submit to their husband, especially when they have such conflicting opinions? The answer is only through Jesus. That's that's it. The first Adam failed, he brought us all under the curse with him. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, succeeded and has set us free. When we see that Jesus is the true and perfect husband who calls us to lay our lives down for our bride just as he did. When he calls us to treasure her and to cherish her, even at great personal cost. Even when she isn't lovely. When she has been selfishly pursuing her own desires when she refuses to submit when she refuses to see how he has loved her it is by his love that he builds her up by his love that she is made lovely as she comes to understand what he has done for her not himself how much he values her how much he cares for her this is christ to his church That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Men, we are not a husband like that. She refuses to submit, and we just crack a beer and flop down on the couch watching the game, totally dismayed. Christ's bride, we read throughout the Bible, played the whore, and he pours out his love until she becomes lovely. And for the wife who looks to Jesus, and she'll see perfect submission to God. That at great personal cost, he laid down his desires and his life out of obedience to God. As we come together then, husband and wife confessing our sins. Men, pray with your wives. Of course, pray for her but actually pray with her. Now if you aren't used to this and you go home and you do this uh, this afternoon or this evening, you come back and you be like, "Matt, I, I tried and uh, it it's it felt really weird and I felt totally fake." That's because you aren't used to it. And it's just a sign that you need to do this more and more and more. Pray over her, pray with her, pray for her confess your own sins and your need for a savior and try to outserve each other trying to model Christ to each other picking up each your own cross every day and dying to self and that you might live in Christ and do his work his service each of us husbands to our wives and to our children and to our world as we stand up for truth as we count our own lives forfeit, we will find that we end up defending the widow and the orphan and the voiceless. That we truly become leaders, first in our home and then in our workplace and in the world. That we become soldiers on duty for Christ. That we don't back down from a fight, and I don't mean some kind of back-alley thug fight where we beat up on somebody, but arm-in-arm, with our brothers in a spiritual battle for souls as defenders of the truth. That we are soldiers in Christ's army. And it starts right here of dying to self and following Christ and leading your wife, obeying his call. If we can do that, and through God's grace, we can. By keeping our eyes on Christ, we can. Then we will really start to see him build his army and change our homes, and transform the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that as our big brother, you teach us how to live lives that are pleasing to you. We thank you that as our high priest, that you are making intercession for us. That you are our king who reigns over us, that you are our prophet who calls us to live right before God and that to honor God and each other. Lord, I pray for the marriages that are represented in this room. Lord, would you protect each one from the temptations of the flesh and of the world and of the devil? Help us to make war as your soldiers, to walk according to your will for us. I pray for those who are here this morning that are engaged, that they would start out their marriage strong with a good foundation. I pray for those who are dating or single, some of whom desire companionship and some who may not. Lord, would you minister and lead and guide each of them in ways that we as humans cannot. Would our relationships, our earthly relationships, spur us on to love and obedience in you? Help us to live lives, Lord, that honor you. Help us to keep our eyes squarely on Jesus Christ as we seek to model him. For your glory and for our joy, in Jesus' name, amen.